So let's go ahead and take our Bibles and turn to John, the Gospel of John, and the first chapter, John chapter 1, and John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. Father, guide us and direct us in these moments we have together. Thank you for the time to sing these songs together and fellowship and worship you in spirit, hopefully, and in truth. Uh, We have your word here today, and so, Father, we do have your truth, and we, Father, ask that you would magnify it in our hearts and in our minds before our eyes Uh, We do pray, as was already prayed this morning, that there be anybody here today in the building or uh, looking in on live stream without Christ, that this would be the day of days for them. They might know their sins forgiven and the promise of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Lord, as believers today, as we look toward a new year, Lord, help us to do so with the hope of your presence in our lives, because Lord, if we have that We have everything we need, and we thank you for that great promise, and we thank you, Lord, that as we study your word this morning, that you're going to help us, and we look forward to it in Jesus Christ's name, amen. I want to talk to you this morning on the subject of life, just that one word, that one concept that seems so obvious that it almost begs the question, why even contemplate it? But when you think about it, There's life in its simplest terms. Uh, A dictionary definition of life would say, the present state of existence, the time from birth to death. Or as someone has once said, it's that hyphen between the two dates on your tombstone. And yet, we're looking at something much more when we look into the Word of God and we consider what we just read. Verse 4, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. Jesus said in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Folks, there's life, and then there's life. A lot of times at a memorial service, to try to get the lost people to think about this, we'll talk about life in, in terms of two different gifts. The first gift of life, we had no choice in it whatsoever. We were born. We didn't ask to be born. Uh, We were born to parents that we didn't choose. We received a name we didn't pick. We were born in a place that we didn't choose. Might have been in the middle of the big city. Might have been out in the country. Might have been here in the United States. Might have been in another country and speaking another language. But the second gift of life, eternal life, that we have a choice in. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That second gift of life, we choose to to take it or or, or refuse it. And if we have it this morning, it's because we've, we've exercised that choice. And so let's talk about life a little bit this morning in in the context of what we just read in John chapter 1. First of all, the purpose of life. 
When you think about the purpose of life, you don't have to go any further than the first three chapters in the book of Genesis to understand what life is really all about. If you're an evolutionist, you're not only going to be befuddled about origins, you're going to be befuddled about purpose. But for a believer, when we go to Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, we find out that there's one main purpose with life, and that is fellowship with God. God makes man. And he says, let us make him in our image, after our likeness. And he puts him in the garden, and he walks with him, and he talks with him, and there's this fellowship between God and man, but there's also fellowship with each other. God made Adam, and then later on he said, it's not good that the man should be alone. And the Bible says he made and helped meet for him. And so from that point on, we're social creatures. I don't think we give it much thought. Some are more social than others. Some would consider themselves more reclusive. I've heard people say, well, I'm, you know, I'm a lone wolf. You know, that's why I live in remote parts of Alaska. But even at that, we're social creatures. And so we find all this out in just the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. Let's take our Bibles and look at John chapter 10, just a few more pages ahead, and the purpose of life. In the book of Genesis, the Bible says, the waters brought forth abundantly. That would be quantity when we look at that word abundantly. That would be quantity. But there's another use of the word of abundant here in John chapter 10, Jesus speaking. In verse 10, he says, the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Now, this is nowhere in my notes, but as you're looking at verse 10, you know, this really, this really sums up life for most people. Uh, we read in, in our, our legal documents for our country, whether it's the preamble to the uh, Constitution or the Declaration of Independence, but that, that phrase, the pursuit of happiness. And really, when you think about it, that's what everybody's about. When they get up in the morning, they're in the pursuit of happiness. And you look at, you look at verse 10 there, and the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Well, that's to take away your happiness, but notice what Jesus says, I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. There's real happiness there. And that abundance isn't so much about the quantity as it is the quality. When you stop and think about it, most testimonies, when people give their testimony of salvation, start out something like this. I was searching for something. I was empty. I was shallow. I was sick and tired of my life of sin. And what is that? That's the pursuit of abundant life. The Bible tells us this abundant life is a new life. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Aren't you glad this morning when Christ gave you eternal life, he gave you new life? He didn't take the old life and clean it up, but he gave you new life. One writer says that in the 20s, his grandparents married and moved into grandpa's old family house. 
It was an old house, so eventually they, they tore it down to build another to live for the rest of their lives on that piece of ground. Much to his grandmother's dismay, many of the materials of the old house were reused in the new house. Used old facings and doors and other pieces of the finishing lumber were used. And everywhere the grandmother looked, she saw the old house, the old doors that wouldn't shut properly, the crown molding that was split and riddled with nail holes, the unfinished window trimming. It was a source of grief to her her entire life. Why? Because she longed for a new house. Aren't you glad this morning when God gave you new life, he didn't, he didn't try to clean up that old life. He just gave you new life. The old man died, was crucified with Christ, and resurrected to a new life. We, we get new desires. Romans chapter 7 says, I thank God, uh, I thank God through our Lord Jesus Christ, so then with the mind, I serve the law of God. This life is an exclusive life. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 14, straight is the gate and narrow is the way, and few there be that find it. This new life is a recovered life. Matthew chapter 16 says, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Matthew chapter 19 says it's an inherited life. Everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. We're told in John 3 that it's eternal life. For whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. We're told in John chapter 4 that it's thirst-quenching life. But but the water that I shall give him, Jesus said, shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. John chapter 5, verse 24 says it's a, a pardoned life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. It's a resurrected life in John chapter 5, verse 29. And shall come forth, and they that have done good unto the resurrection of life. It's a nourished life. Jesus talks about the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven in John chapter 6, verse 33. It's an illuminated life. In John chapter 8, verse 12, the Bible says, Jesus speaking, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. It's an abundant life, according to John chapter 10, verse 10. And he says that they might have life and might have it more abundantly. It's a preserved life, according to John chapter 10, verse 28. He says, and they shall never perish. It's a future life as well as a present life. According to John chapter 11, verse 25, it's an intimate life. According to John chapter 17, verse 3, and this is eternal life that they may know thee the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. It's a sacrificial life according to Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Paul said, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself. Blessed is the man that no longer fears death. It's a new life. According to Romans chapter 6, verse 4, 
Paul says, even so, we should walk in newness of life. It's a given life, for in John chapter 6, verse 23, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's spiritual life, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. It's a savored life, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. The Bible says, for to the one we are the savor of death unto death. That is when the world looks at biblical Christianity. You know what they say? They say it stinks. But Paul goes on to say, and to the other, the savor of life unto life. To the believer and to God, it smells just right. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10, it's a manifested life. The Bible says that the life of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. It's an exchange life according to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's a fruitful life. According to Galatians chapter 6, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. It's a recorded life. According to Philippians chapter 4, verse 3, the Bible says whose names are in the book of life. It's a hidden life. According to Colossians 3, verse 3, Paul says, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 4 says it's a glorious life. The Bible says, and then shall ye also appear with him in glory. The Bible tells us it's a promised life. In 2 Timothy 1, verse 1, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Titus 3, 7 says it's a hopeful life. The Bible says being made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. James chapter 1, verse 12 says it's a rewarding life. The Bible says, blessed is a man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, it's a partnering life. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life. The Bible tells us it's an incarnate life. According to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1, the Bible says that which was from the beginning, which we have heard and which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. And then the Bible tells us it's a present possession. And this is the record, 1 John chapter 5, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That's the new life that God has given us in Jesus Christ. Let's talk for a moment about the pursuit of it. The pursuit of it. The Bible tells us that the lost walk in darkness. And before we were saved, that's where we walked as well. The Bible says, you were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. The meaning of life. 
You know, if you don't find it in Christ, then you're on a lifelong search that's destined to end in futility. Some time ago, we studied the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon examines every major philosophy that's taught in any college today, every single one of them in that short book. And one of them that he looks at is existentialism, the idea that we don't know where we came from, we really don't know where we're at, we don't know where we're going, so you live for the moment. And how much meaninglessness that that creates. The rise in suicide could be could maybe be hung on on that particular nail on the wall. But it matters not success or failure. People think, well, if I was a great success and popular, and maybe if I was a celebrity, I I would be happy. I would find meaning in that. Back in 1977, the comedian Freddie Prinze, who was the uh, star of the sitcom called Chico and the Man, he was only 22 years old, and he killed himself. At 19 years old... He literally stepped out of the ghetto into fame and fortune. One producer who was a close friend of his said, Freddie saw nothing around that would satisfy him. He would ask me, is this where it's at? Is this what it's all about? He said his real despondency was whether he could articulate it or not concerned the question, where do I fit in? Where is my happiness? His friend said, I would tell him, Freddie, your happiness is right here. You're a star. And he'd say, no, that's no happiness for me anymore. Time Magazine concluded the story with this sentence, quote, for one of the most singular escape stories in ghetto history, escape was not enough. You know, I, I, was, I was reading that, and I thought to myself, I wonder if anybody ever tried to witness to him. I wonder if anybody ever gave him a track. I wonder if he knew somebody who was a Christian. A man walking down the street in Hong Kong many years ago walked past a tattoo parlor. He saw a tattoo that said, born to lose. The man couldn't believe what his eyes were reading, so he walked into the tattoo parlor and he said to the guy, he said, does anybody really ask to have that tattooed on him? He said, oh yeah, once in a while. And he said, how could anybody in his right mind want born to lose tattooed on his body? And the Chinese man simply tapped his forehead and said in broken English, before tattoo on body, tattoo on mind. And aren't you glad you've been rescued from all that through abundant life in Jesus Christ? It matters not success or failure. It matters not fame or fortune. What really matters is a relationship with God. You know, when you read the book of Genesis, you find out within the first few chapters, God wasted no time separating light from darkness. And I don't think I have to convince anybody this morning that we live in a dark time in so many ways. The darkness of our culture is, is brought out for us through drugs and alcohol class warfare, i.e. communism, woke philosophy in many ways, peaceful rioting, hard rock music, fantasy games, horror movies, horror novels, obsession with Halloween, a skyrocketing suicide rate, the goth culture among youth, 
the rise of gangs, gang cultures, thrill crimes, robberies, muggings, drive-by shootings, rape, murder. We could go on and on. But finally, the two badges or emblems or symbols of the culture of death, abortion, and euthanasia. Abortion and euthanasia. Think about it this morning if you're saved. When God saved you, he saved you from a shadowed life. Matthew chapter 4 talks about the shadow of death. Matthew chapter 6 says that we were delivered from a dark life. Matthew chapter 25 tells us it was a worthless and an unhappy life. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Bible tells us in Luke 22, it's a subverted life. Jesus said, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. John chapter 1 verse 5 tells us we were delivered from an ignorant life. The Bible says, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. It was an evil life. The Bible says, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Folks, we were sinners, we were sinners by nature, but also sinners by choice. John chapter 12, it was an unsure life. Jesus said, for he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth, just groping through life. Romans chapter 13 verse 12 tells us it was a slave's life. For the night is far spent and the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. It was an exposed life. The Bible says, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and make manifest the counsels of the hearts. Aren't you glad that your life is under the blood of Jesus Christ this morning? It was an isolated life. The Bible says, in what communion hath light with darkness? It was an unfruitful life. The Bible says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. It was a controlled life. The Bible says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. The Bible tells us in Colossians, it was an imprisoned life, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. It was a gloomy life. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, verse 18, For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, but that burned with fire, unto, the, unto blackness and darkness and a tempest. It was a bound life. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It was a dishonest life. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. By the way, that's what religion gave us. Religion gave us a way to tell God that we're not as bad as God says we were. It gave us a way to tell God that we don't need to be saved like he said we needed to be saved. It was a blind life. 1 John chapter 2, verse 11 says, because the darkness hath blinded his eyes. Jude chapter 1, verse 13, the raging waves of the sea foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And folks, that was the sentence this morning that was hanging over every one of us. 
before we got saved. Lastly, I want to take a few minutes and talk about the sanctity of life. The sanctity of life. Go back to John chapter 1. Let's go back to John chapter 1. And John chapter 1 and verse 5. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Did you ever just stop and think in simplest terms why anybody could know anything about abortion and say, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, yeah, it's okay to, to put saline solution in the embiotic fluid and let the baby die within a couple days and be born still. It's okay with a partial birth abortion with, with a child in, in its sixth or seventh month and have the baby be partially born and then plunge something into the back of their head and kill the baby as it's trying to be born and as it's trying to live. And I'm not trying to be gross or overly graphic, but there's even worse than that that we could talk about. When you stop and think about it, you think of verse 5, and the darkness what? Comprehended it not. Comprehended it not. I can't understand how anybody who professes to believe the Bible in the least bit could believe that abortion was okay in the eyes of God. Or that abortion was okay morally, period. The Bible tells us in Genesis 25 that two nations, two nations were in Rebekah's womb. The Bible tells us in Job chapter 31, Job said, did not he that made me in the womb make him? David said in Psalm 51, behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Psalm 127, lo, children are an heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward. David said in Psalm 139, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. He goes on to say, My substance was not hid from thee, when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. We could go on and on. But as believers, we must reject the idea that abortion is a mother's choice. It's someone's choice. It's the only form of murder that's justified by saying the person doing the murder or consenting to the murder or bringing forth the victim just decided to do it, so it's okay. Life. Life. God's Word teaches the sanctity of life. A well-known lecturer many years ago at medical schools asked one of his classes what they would recommend in the following case. The father had syphilis, the mother had TB. They had four children already. One was blind, one was born dead, one was a deaf mute, and the other one had TB. The mother was pregnant with her fifth child. Almost without exception, each of the students recommended abortion. Lecture then paused and said, well, congratulations. You just killed Beethoven. 
The chances of your being killed by terrorists overseas is 1 in 650,000. The chances of your being killed by Americans in Baltimore is 1 in 4,000. Your chances of being killed if you are in the womb of an American woman is 1 in 3.3. Murder is bad enough, but murdering an innocent baby? Murdering an innocent baby? Really? The unborn can't speak for themselves, but we can. But we can. You know, it's a hopeful thing to realize that Roe v. Wade is on the ropes. How many of you that are old enough to remember when Roe v. Wade became law, how many of you thought we'd see this day? We need to pray, amen? There's actually, uh, there's actually a decision coming up in the near future here. It has to do with the last abortion clinic in the state of Mississippi. And uh, the people there that, that own the clinic call it the pink house. They've painted it pink. I read a series of articles about it here just the other week. And uh, it's interesting uh, Abortion people can be pretty nasty people. They are just pretty nasty people. And I won't take the time to read this, but uh, it's all coming sort of together right at that one point. And from what I understand, and I don't understand much about law, I don't profess to be a lawyer in any respect, but they say how this decision goes could have a lot to do with how Roe v. Wade goes. You know what? The overturn of Roe v. Wade won't solve all the problems in our country, but it would be a blessing, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be great to make our country grapple again with the idea that innocence should not be murdered, whatever the reason? Uh, maybe we could get 1.5 million souls, their blood, Staining the land each year off of the books. Wow. You know, they say before Roe v. Wade, they estimated 500,000 illegal abortions. But now it's anywhere between 1.2 million and 1.6. I don't know the latest statistic. But I see a ray of hope. I see a ray of hope in all of that. In Russia, recent statistic came up with the idea that there were more babies aborted last year than there were that were born. And uh, I'm sure we're pretty close to that ourselves in our country. We need to continue to pray. We need to continue to stand up. We need to continue to speak up. And we need to continue to Talk about the light of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I'm, I'm convinced that I'm convinced that whole abortion mill is just purely of Satan. And, and the people that are wrapped up in it are also trapped up in it. And many of them can be saved. There are testimonies. This article uh, goes through the testimony of a woman who worked in an abortion clinic 
And God finally opened her eyes through the witness of a couple Christians. A couple Christians that were not only protesting abortion, but were telling her about Jesus Christ. Telling her about eternal life. Telling her about how Jesus Christ died that she might have real life. And she got saved. And the minute she got saved, that was it. It flipped for her. And now she's against abortion. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Talking about life this morning. And we're looking at the sanctity of it. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the Bible gives us tremendous hope. The Bible gives us tremendous hope, even, even in light of times of great darkness. And you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and you start in verse 1. The Bible says, But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. As travail upon a, a woman with child, they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. Now that's where we were at, folks, and that day was going to take us unawares. That day was going to take us by surprise. But look what the Bible says going further. He says in verse 8, But let us who are of the day... Be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. Notice that word, hope. The hope of salvation. Do you realize that no matter what goes on around us, if you know Christ is your Savior, that doesn't change the fact that you're saved. Doesn't change the fact that you're saved. If Roe v. Wade gets overturned, I will still be saved. If Roe v. Wade doesn't get overturned, I will still be saved. If our country continues to plunge into moral darkness and spiritual darkness, I will be saved. If it doesn't, I will still be saved. That's the hope of eternal life, folks. Nobody can take that from you if you know Christ as your personal Savior. He goes on in verse 9 and says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Folks, the Lord is coming back. And, and I believe he's coming back sooner than later. The signs of the times are everywhere around us. And you know what? When it's dark, it's easier to shine. When it's dark, it's easier to shine. In Philippians chapter 2, turn there for a second if you would. I believe we should stand up on issues like abortion. I think we should stand up on any issue in our culture that has a biblical, moral, and spiritual basis. And I could go on and on. But, but folks, we, we know what the Bible says is going to happen to this world. Evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse. So while we stand and we watch prophecy being fulfilled, 
we have great hope on two fronts. Number one, Christ is coming back. No matter what, Christ is coming back. The devil can't stop Christ from coming back. The God-haters can't stop Christ from coming back. The abortionists can't stop Christ from coming back. The people that want us to believe in all this mixed-up gender uh, business cannot stop Christ from coming back. They've said, as was said in the early part of the book of uh, Psalms, let us cast their bands from us. Let us cast their bands asunder. But he that sitteth in the heavens shall what? Laugh. Not going to overthrow God. You're not going to pull God off his throne. You're not going to destroy his authority. Jesus is still coming back. So keep fighting. And, and I, you know, you get reading church history and you read of times of great revival and, and, and you spiritually salivate over those things. But, but God still has something for us to do. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Look at verse 15. Look at verse 15. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke. Now watch this. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Folks, being in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation is nothing new to Christians. This is first century. It's nothing new. It's nothing new. And notice what he says, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. My wife mentioned a couple months ago, she said, I don't have a good flashlight. I don't have a good flashlight. So I made a mental note of this. I don't know how this happened. These things never happened for me. But two months ahead of Christmas, I said, I got to get her a good flashlight. I say, is that all you got her? No, no, no. You can, you can ask her that later. I'm not that big of a cheapskate. But I got looking around. I thought, well, I want to get her a good flashlight, something not too big. You know, you don't need these 10-pounders with 12D batteries. You got to have wheels to roll it around. Get her something. I mean, they make flashlights now. You know, forget the ones with the little bulbs and all the D batteries. They got some pretty, pretty incredible ones. And, and, I, and I, was, I was looking at different flashlights, and they had flashlights with 1,000 lumens and then 1,200 lumens, and then they had one with 2,000 lumens. So I got her the one with 1,200 lumens. And we were opening up gifts Christmas Eve that evening, and I, I hit the switch on that thing. We could have called an airplane in with that thing. And you know what? There's a lot of value in a small light when it's pitch black. And some of you this week are going to go places that are pitch black. It might be where you work. It might be school. It might be in the neighborhood. It might be somewhere in extended family. I don't know. But you know what? That flashlight you got, that's worth a lot. That's worth a lot. You say, what is my light in all of this darkness? It's a lot. And do you know that light always displaces darkness, not the other way around? The value of a small light when in a dark place can't be overstated. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the church at Corinth, current with, the, with, with writing the first, first epistle, was what they called the Isthmian Games. They were the Greek games. They were the precursor to the Olympics. And Paul references a lot of those different 
uh, contests. Uh, he references racing several times, running. But they had a saying with the Isminian games uh, regarding the passing of the torch, which was carried on, of course, with the Olympics and we're familiar with. They said, let them that have the torch pass it on. Let them that have the torch pass it on. You know what God's saying to us today? He's saying to us, let them that have the torch pass it on. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon, and we may live in dark times, but Christ, the light of the world, is the victor, and we're on his side, and we win. So let's get out there and pass that torch. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for life. We thank you for more than just this natural life. We thank you for eternal life. And we thank you for the promise of life yet to come for all eternity, Lord, never ending, on and on and on, forever and ever. And Lord, we actually can't comprehend that. We try sometimes, but it's beyond our understanding. Help us, Lord, as we go forth from this place to tell others. Father, we pray for that one listening to us this morning without Christ, that this might be the day of days for them. They might receive eternal life through the giver of life, the Lord Jesus Christ, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 375.
Brother John Robinson, Brother John, would you come on up here and close us in a word of prayer? Brother Robinson pastors a church in the People's Republic of Portland. <laughs> and it's good to have them here with us. And well, we are there in Portland uh, in part because of your support, so thank you very much. As folks get saved here recently, we've got a lot of folks growing. And I'm not, I'm not a PSer, but I have this poem written in the front of my Bible here. A couple of excerpts from Longfellow. Life is real, life is earnest, and the grave is not the goal. Dust thou art, to dust returnest, was not written of the soul. In life's broad field of battle, in the bivouac of life, be not like dumb, driven cattle. Be a hero in the strife. And I really do believe that we have an opportunity right now because of God's gift of life to take what we've been given and put it out there and let other people have a part of what it is that we enjoy. And that's a really good challenge. Thank you. I really appreciate that message this morning. It was very good. Let's go to the Lord and ask him for a blessing. Father, thank you so much for what you've done. The fact that we're here this morning, the fact that we know anything at all about you, that we have this gift of life, Lord, that's been given to us, is truly a wonderful blessing, Lord, something that none of us deserve, but we're all thankful for this morning. Lord, as we acknowledge there might be someone in this crowd this morning that has not trusted you as their personal Savior, or maybe they have a question still, Lord, I pray that they would not put this off, this, this decision to choose life, to choose eternal life. Lord, it's just a choice. I pray that help, help them to see that. We also ask us, Lord, for those of us who are saved, who have a, a better understanding of what you've been, uh, what's been given to us. Lord, would you please help us to see the opportunities that are all around us, Lord, there's people dying and going to hell every day. Many of them, Lord, just had never been talked to, never been presented with the option of choosing life. Help us, Lord, to, to take that challenge that we heard this morning and to take it out with us in all the places that you send us to go. We pray you would send us with your blessing. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.